everyone. Welcome and thanks for joining the podcast. This is Delilah from Imagine Publicity. And no, I'm not that Delilah, so don't be sending me requests for love songs. We're starting this podcast and I'm really excited about it. And um, today we're going to just jump right into it because it's a, it's a short podcast, uh, 30 minutes. But we're going to highlight some authors, uh, their stories, their books, um, and also we'll probably hit on some social media uh, tips and, and who knows. We're just taking it and going with it. So today's podcast is uh, brought to you by wildbluepress.com and Imagine Publicity. And today I have Steve Jackson. He is a New York Times bestselling author. And he's the founding partner of Wild Blue Press, which is an up-and-coming indie publishing company. And they represent and publish some of the best true crime authors in the country. Um, He's the author of several best-selling true crime books. And today we're going to talk about um, No Stone Unturned. This is really a fascinating book um, on the history of an organization called NecroSearch. And Steve, I'm going to just bring you in and let you explain to the listeners just exactly what NecroSearch is, what they do, and, and maybe a short history. Well, good morning, um, and thanks for the introduction. I, uh, I'll, I'll apologize in advance if people hear the uh, the airport announcer uh, going off overhead. I tried to get as far away as I could from it. I'm about to take off for Russia, which we'll we'll get to. But Next Search International started in the uh, 90s, um, sort of as a uh, uh, serendipitous, if you would, uh, group of uh, scientists, all of them whom ha- just happened to be uh, Sherlock Holmes fans or the Hardy Boys fans. And they kind of, uh, at the same time, for some reason, um, started saying, uh, you know, we could apply some of the sciences we know uh, to helping police locate um, the bodies of murder victims. Uh, as you're probably aware, uh, prosecuting bodyless homicides is very difficult. So um, through a, a variety of ways, uh, they got in touch with uh, police departments and actually with each other, and uh, that's how NecroSearch International was born. And and you've recently become an, an actual member in the fold of ne- NecroSearch. What, what exactly does that mean to you? Well, um, first of all, it's a great honor. Uh, NecroSearch is a, uh, by invitation only, and uh, many of the scientists in there, whether they're forensic scientists to start with or uh, just in uh, other fields of sciences and who apply these to forensic sciences, are some of the best-known people in their field in the U.S. and some of them in the world. Um, There's a lot of law enforcement people who are involved, uh, from the FBI to uh, NCMEC, the National uh, Center for the Exploitation of Missing Children or Missing and Exploited Children. I'm uh, still running from the airport. Um, and uh, so to be with these this group of people and to have their trust, because we do sit in on uh, hearing about uh, cases that are ongoing. And um, and so, uh, hold on just a moment. Okay, the, the announcer went away. Um, but uh, so the... Uh, the uh these uh it's it's an honor and um I was uh, brought into the group uh, officially in February 2014. I wrote No Stone Unturned, the original uh version of it came out in 2002 and I've done a number of things with Necrosearch since and uh they um 
took a vote and voted me into the group. I'm the group historian as well as I'm working on a uh, field called forensic history, which is combining uh, like community knowledge and rumor and and witness uh, testimony in with the sciences that sort of give a weighted uh, view of where to go for looking for the graves of homicide victims. Wow, that's great. I mean, you know, it's interesting that they would invite a true crime author into a group of of scientists, not that you're not worthy, don't get me wrong. Because (laughs) I know know that, you know, (laughs) you also were a journalist and, and, you know, to be to be uh, documenting the history of this organization has got to be a, a huge honor. Well, in part- participating in the, we, uh, you know, actually as a member, I sit there and we, in police departments, law enforcement agencies, uh, present their cases to NecroSearch, and um, it's which is a, a process that they all go through. Uh, they only work NecroSearch only works for law enforcement. They don't take. Um, say, private uh, individuals uh, uh, on cases like that. And uh, the law enforcement, in their turn, have to present their cases and their evidence, and a lot of this is confidential. So I had to go through the background checks and sworn to secrecy. And uh, the only good thing is that uh, eventually these these stories become um, something I can write about as well. So it's kind of a a great thing all the way around. I'm sorry, have you used any of the cases that they've worked on um, as subject matter for one of your books? Well, um, Monster, the very first uh, book I wrote was, it was how I uh, became familiar with Neck Researchers. They worked on a case, uh, the case of the missing uh, woman in that book, and uh, and that's how I met them, and I started talking, and they had all these great cases. Some of them, you know, 30-year-old cold cases they'd solved, um, and uh, uh 20 years old, 25 years old, you know, a number of these cases. And um, so I was just fascinated, obviously, and asked if I could write a book. And after quite a while of of sort of getting to know each other, um, you know, earned their trust and wrote the book. And the, what we just did is we republished the book, updated it with kind of whatever happened on some of these cases uh, 12 years later. And it's out for as an ebook and an audible book for the first time. It originally came out with print. That shows you how fast uh, technology has changed over the last ten years. But um, and and listeners can get those from WildBluePress.com if they go to your website. They're there for sale, and they can get it there. Sure, or they can just go directly to Amazon. We like them to come to our website because then they can see some of our other authors and check out other books and uh, we have uh, we're pretty proud of the people we have uh, who publish with us as well as my books and and uh, um, so you know we like people to come to the website and they can buy from the website but they can also go directly to Amazon and find it there. Great. What, what are some of the high profile or famous cases maybe that listeners would recognize that NecroSearch has worked on well, um, one that uh, continues to get uh, publicity all the time is uh, the Michelle Wallace case. She was a young woman who disappeared in the mountains of Colorado back in 1976, and uh, eventually her her body disappeared, and the case went cold until a um, very dedicated police officer uh, down in Gunnison, Colorado, uh, named Kathy Young, uh, dug up the case and eventually contacted Neck Research, and with Neck Research, they were 
able, I won't ruin the whole story here, but uh, able to uh, uh, find her remains and go after the killer. And, uh, and that's, that, that case has been on HBO. It's been on Forensic Files. Uh, I was on Forensic Files with it. Um, it's, it's one of their more famous because of, simply because of the length of time that had passed, for one thing. Um, she disappeared in 76 and uh, wasn't found until the 1990s. Um, I'm currently working on a very interesting one, uh, which uh, we're, I'm off to Russia here to find the, uh, with some NecroSearch members, to find the uh, secret grave of the Grand Duke Mikhail Alexandrovich uh, Romanov, who was the Tsar's brother, and uh, about a month before the Tsar and his family were assassinated, uh, um, the Grand Duke was taken from his hotel and killed near Pirin, Russia, by the Bolsheviks, and thrown into a shallow grave along with uh, the body of his secretary, uh, Brian Johnson. And so we have been, uh, over the last three years, I've gone, uh, I went in 2013, I couldn't make last year, but we're back this year, digging up uh, Mother Russia, looking for uh, one of her Grand Dukes. Well, I, I just think this is a fascinating story. Um, you know, the whole story around the Romanovs, I think, is a historical mystery in a lot of cases. And, you know, what happened to some of their children and what happened to the Grand Duke and all of this. So I, I just, you know, I think we're going to be following your trip through a blog that you're doing called From Russia with Love um, that'll also be on wildbluepress.com. And, uh, I think a lot of people vicariously are going to be going with you. I know I'm going to be one of them that will be watching and, and waiting for your reports. Um, so what what does this whole trip really mean for you? Um, what are your hopes to come away with? Well, um, obviously the, the, the main thing would be to find the, the remains of the, the Grand Duke. The, the group I'm with are actually uh, – uh, these are the people who, um, some of them, uh, who originally found the czar and most of his family. That Well, they found him in 78, but because of the political climate there, they weren't able to reveal this until 91. Um, but two of the children were missing, and the guy who is the head of our expedition, uh, Peter Sarandonaki, he's the great-grandson of a uh, white Russian army general who tried to get to the Romanovs in time, and and couldn't, and uh, his grandfather and great-grandfather spirited the evidence out of Russia, and um, Peter has kind of come full circle to, first they were looking for the two missing uh, Romanov children, and they found them, and uh, that was back in 2007, and then we found out or heard that there was one more Romanov missing, the Grand Duke, and uh, so Peter has raised the money to, to get us over there. It's a, it's a great adventure. It's uh, you know, it's that sort of thing of National Geographic and uh, expeditions. It's in the middle of Russia, which is not the most highly developed part of Russia. It's um, uh, very interesting. I, I find Russia and Russia's history and uh, fascinating, and the people are, are warm and welcoming um, for the most part. Uh, the immigration guys maybe not so much, but uh, I think that's what they're paid to do everywhere. Um <laughs> So, uh, you know, to me, it's a, this great adventure I get to go on. Hopefully we find the Grand Duke. But if we don't, uh, Peter's uh, quest here, um, both in find, helping find the, uh, the missing children, and he's also spearheaded the uh, efforts to get this, uh, the remains of the royal family. And if we find the Grand Duke uh, authenticated through DNA, 
um, so that the church will accept the remains and bury the Romanovs. It's, it's just this great, big, dramatic, fascinating, romantic uh, Dr. Zhivago-esque story. Um, and it's uh, it I'm very is. proud to be part of it. Right. Yeah. And I just I wanted to you take know, a train from across part of it and stand on top of the roof just like Yuri Zhivago, you know, and <laughs> and uh but they wouldn't let me. No. Oh, darn. <laughs> well, you say that, you know, for necrosurch to get involved in in a lot of cold cases or do they do they strictly work with cold cases or let's say could a law enforcement agency bring them in at the beginning of a case? Oh, they've been brought in uh, fairly quickly, especially uh, dump searches and uh, water searches and, and that sort of thing. So when necrosurch first started, it was always sort of the you know the law enforcement would look like at them like they would look at you know psychics, and you know so yeah, well, I understand you want to help, but you know thank you, but no thank you. And, and it's kind of after their successes now, the uh, you know just everybody comes to them and and they will very quickly. Um, you know, the uh, necrosearch, one of the things they insist on from the law enforcement is that they do their job first. You know, they do good detective work. And so that when they come to necrosearch, they, they can answer questions, everything from how much ferrous material is in a car that's supposedly in a river um, to, you know, uh, what part of the country, what time of year, uh, how much lighting. But they've they've done rather famous cases, and I, I can't divulge all of them uh, right now, but if you hear of uh, a group going somewhere and uh, searching for a body using equipment, which uh, has happened here in the, a number of times in the past year, there's a good chance it's necrosearch because they're the first people who do this that law enforcement uh, calls in. Now, there's a couple of other groups, and they have their own names and do their own thing, but um, they're they're a little more uh, into getting the publicity. Necrosearch has always kind of kept a, a low level. And so oftentimes they'll be involved in cases and uh, locate evidence or remains that never get credit for it because uh, they they don't seek it. Well, that's interesting. So they do work with other search and recovery organizations cooperatively? Not much. I mean, in other countries they will. Um, in fact, they have some necrosearch branches in other countries, but they 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 will work with uh, other experts. They, you know these other groups um, that I'm talking about. They they kind of have their own uh, their own version and they do things their own way. And necrosearch is very particular. Um, they you know the law enforcement brings their cases in and necrosearch actually takes the vote uh, on whether they think they can be of any help or whether this uh, agency needs to be sent back to the blackboard to gather more evidence or or anything along those lines. So they they don't take just every case. Um, but, you know, if they go, say they go to Great Britain and they're looking for, uh, in fact, one of the people I'm meeting in Russia is a uh, British dog handler, police officer dog handler, who has cadaver dogs and um, kind of well-known over there for looking for victims of the IRA. And uh, But he's a member of Necrosearch now. But they, when they went to Britain on a different case, they met up with him. And so they work with uh, whoever has information. They're not... They're not uh, Tweety tweety like that, I guess. As far as they, they'll accept any help they can get if it's uh, you know real help. Right. So basically, for listeners' information, if you have a missing loved one, necrosearch is not who you're going to contact. 
correct? They don't get involved with families or offer family support. They're strictly looking for evidence, looking for remains, or working hand-in-hand with law enforcement rather than right. offering all the other support services. Right. They they, they um, purposely avoid that. Um, they don't want to have emotions and these sorts of things uh, get in the way. Plus, the, the, the main reason is they don't want to mess up anything legally as far as chain of custody and um, some of these other groups have done stuff. They get called in by the families. Somebody finds something or disturbs something, and, and suddenly uh, that that bit of evidence uh, might not be usable in court. Um, so NEPR search works very closely whenever they're out in the field with law enforcement. So something comes up, uh, and they're they're very well trained these days. They've they've been around for a while, so they've had a lot of uh, law enforcement training themselves. Right. What, explain to listeners why are they called the pig people? I thought that was rather yeah. interesting. Well, um, pigs are the uh, animal that has the most, uh, the closest um, uh, body type to human beings. They don't have much hair. They have a, a x amount of fat on them, and uh, they decompose about the same rate as, as humans do. So. Um, when they were doing some of their experiments out at a, a law enforcement, uh, uh, one of the agencies here has a large uh, few hundred acres that they do training and stuff. And so they allowed them to bury pigs so that they could see what the dogs would do and see how uh, plants would uh, change over a burial area, uh, try out their ground penetrating radar, all that sort of thing. So um, there's originally the, uh, some of the law enforcement people who would, Call them up because they couldn't remember the name Neck Research, so they say, "Aren't you the pig people?" And that nickname sort of stuck. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, how long have they basically been an organization? When did this all take place? When they came together and decided, you know, we have a great group of people here. Um, let's pull it all together, and is it a non-profit organization, or how is it structured? They are a, a, a non-profit, um, and uh, mostly run off of uh, donations. Actually, what they really run off are is the uh, hours and the dedication of the people that are in it, uh, because there's no way they're uh, bringing in enough money to, to uh, cover what they do. They do ask that law enforcement agencies cover their expenses when they're out. Um, but yes, they are a nonprofit, um, and uh, it started in the. It's it mostly in the 90s. It, it, it really is fairly interesting because it's almost in the same period of time, uh, the founders who didn't know each other at the time sort of. Well, one Clark Davenport uh, was watching television and five gallon drum that supposedly had a victim in it, and they were using a metal detector. And he was like, "You're not going to find a buried drum with a metal detector. You need a magnetometer." So. He kind of went out to the field and told the police this, and they didn't find what they were looking for, but they were pretty impressed with what he did find. So, um, And then there were some other uh, law enforcement types who were working on a, a mass burial area south of uh, Denver and um, and were kind of using a bulldozer and thought this might not be the best way to, to look for remains. Um, and then there was uh, just a number of these people, and they sort of, found each other by accident, or one would talk to a police agency, and that police agency would um, uh, talk to somebody else and, and start putting them together, and they started hooking to, uh, up a little bit. And 
then having breakfast, and then thinking about, well, maybe they could do some sort of an academic approach to this, uh, even just writing papers and doing the pig things. And then they started saying, uh, for some of them, let's well, let's try this on a practical application and contact uh, law enforcement and say, you know, if you need help, we're here. It, it sounds, you know, just a, it's a fascinating group, and everything that they do is, is just so helpful to... Uh, not only families with missing persons, but for justice itself. I'll just explain. Steve Jackson is sitting in the airport waiting to go to Russia. So any background (laughs) noise you hear, um, he's he's going to be off and flying here very soon. Um, (laughs) I apologize. Yeah. I thought I was in a quiet point. (laughs) <laughs> in an airport there is no quiet. <laughs> but yes. anyway, what you know, with with the remaining time that we have left, why don't we talk about Wild Blue Press and how Wild Blue Press came about? Uh, what's down when you get back from Russia? Well, um Wild Blue Press was sort of uh it actually began about three or four years ago. Um I was sitting together with a, a friend who's an author, Ron Francel, um, and he was, uh, I wasn't in self-publishing or indie publishing. I, I was with some fairly large publishers at the time, and, but Ron was going to try the brave new world of self-publishing and had, I believe, for um, one of his uh, books and was complaining that, um, you know, it's it, there's there's things to be said for self-publishing, but uh it, uh, the hard part is there's now 400 million people who are all authors writing books and getting yourself, uh, even if you're a well-known, uh, well-respected author, above what I call the white noise of the uh, uh, self-publishing world um, was very difficult. And, and I uh, kind of just squirreled that away in my brain. And, you know, we're all upset with, with publishers and the, the main publishers and, and how they uh, do things in the world, whether it's... Um, Poor percentages on ebooks, or it's uh, very uh, selective and uh, as far as what they're publishing, and uh, the advances are getting smaller. It's just be- becoming very difficult, unless you're Stephen King or Hillary Clinton or something, to uh, to do well as a, a working author. So self-publishing and indie publishing uh, sound very good. You can kind of control your own life when you're going to put something out and. But the problem is, is then all of a sudden you run into this issue of not only do I have to write a book, but I've got to learn to do book covers and uh, get it formatted and how do I get it up on Amazon and how do I do all these sorts of things. So about two weeks uh, or two months, I would say, after I talked to Ron, I happened to be sitting with an old college buddy, Michael Cordova, um, and he's something of uh, was sort of the Internet before there was uh, Al Gore on the Internet. And uh, uh, he's He's very uh, adept at online marketing and promotions and software writing and all these sorts of things. And he starts saying, well, why aren't you guys doing this, 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 and this? And from that sort of came the idea of, well, let's put together a an independent publishing company that, um, but unlike some, which will take your manuscript and then do a few things for it, maybe help you find a book cover person, uh, and then they just kind of toss it out there. We're... We're A to Z. We take the manuscript in. We have them edited, uh, with book covers going, promotion and marketing going, uh, 
Uh, we get get it uploaded, we get it distributed, and then we continue to promote market afterwards, which uh, even the traditional publishers uh, just don't do anymore. They put the book out there, it's out there a few weeks, then they're gone. Um, so we kind of do it all, uh, but we're we're sort of trying to get away from the uh, description as an indie, in that we feel that at some point we're going to be the the new uh, face of publishing here in the 21st century. With sounds grandiose, but we think we've got a pretty good plan, and um, part of our concept is uh, our authors, most of 90% of them are best-selling, award-winning um, authors, so we're not starting with uh, just all new people, but we do bring in the occasional uh, up-and-comer or rising star uh, when we read their books, we put them through focus groups to see how people react to them, but um, from there on, if we take them on, then we pretty well right now. Yeah, I, I'm just very impressed with the whole operation, and I've had the opportunity to um, to meet a lot of your authors on on air, and they're fantastic. Um, I know some of the, I'm not going to say older authors, but those who've been around <laughs> the block a little longer, <laughs> and um, and then you know the the new ones coming up. I mean, it's very exciting to be part of that support group for you know for someone who's trying to get a name out there and trying to get a book out there and in a field right now that is just so full of noise that you, it's very difficult to be heard anymore and i'm sure you totally agree with that what um what kind of specials are you running with wild blue press right now i know you you do this on um on occasion um, is there anything that you want to let listeners know about? Well, uh, let's see. No Stone Unturned is available as an ebook for only 99 cents at uh, um, this time, and uh, well, uh, starting on uh, actually uh, uh, starting June 4th. I'm forgetting what what day I'm at here, but uh, June 4th, uh, No Stone Unturned goes on sale for 99 cents. Um, I believe right now. Uh, um, Kentucky Bloodbath, which is another of our true crime books, is on sale for 99 cents, and they always have something, so I just suggest uh, people go to wildbluepress.com, and you can sign up for our uh, newsletter, which doesn't come too often, but it also gets you our uh, online magazine, which has stories and specials and contests and all sorts of stuff on it. I think it's just fantastic the way the company is put together and how much you give to the readers, because you really do. Um, you know, with the blog posts you all do and the newsletter and the magazine and everything, it's it's kind of like getting a lot of freebies when you when you buy a book and uh, well, really get to know the authors. And it's it's just really a great all-around one-stop shopping sort of place. That is our our uh, concept is trying to establish a, uh, a new relationship between authors and readers. I think, you know, that in the past, uh, part of it simply because there was not a, a internet, um, there was sort of a disconnect. You wrote a book, you sent it off to a publisher, and they printed it. Maybe you went to a couple of book signings, but that was uh, sort of the extent of your contact with readers. And, well, uh, maybe months later, get some fan mail, and uh, even that was usually fairly limited, but. Um, now, it's, it's uh, as soon as you put the book out there, you're talking to people, or even before you put the uh, book out there, you can talk to them about the writing process or how a story came to be. or um, you know. So part of this is, is to try to establish a new connection between um, you know two people who need each other, uh, 
authors certainly need readers, and uh, readers, uh, you know, that's what they do for entertainment is they read books, and um, so it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it's all about the relationship. It it definitely is. Well, believe it or not, we're all we're out of time already. And I know you now have I think a they're gonna want me to get on test. the plane, yeah. I know. So I just wanna say thanks a million for being on. Um for listeners, go to wildbluepress dot com, order no sto- stone no stone unturned and and all of the other great books that the authors have available. And the the one thing I want to remind you, make sure you leave a review. Go to Amazon, go to go wherever you buy your book and leave a review because that support means so much to all authors. Um so listen to the podcast whenever you can. Steve, have a great trip. Um I will. Phone call when you get back because I want to hear all about it firsthand, okay? I, I will do it. And, uh, and follow the blog on From Russia With Love on com, and, and I'll try to uh, touch base. Sounds great. All right. All right. Well, have a great trip, and thanks again. Bye-bye, everyone. All right. Thanks, Delilah. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.